All right, guys, we're going to get rolling here. Those of you who are still hanging out visiting, uh, if you're ready to get started, I am. All right, living to 100, a new paradigm. I want to show you some statistics. Um, I, I really like just kind of making people aware of things they may not be aware of. I do not like the word elderly, and I apologize about that. That is not my slide. Um, I've already sent a strongly worded letter to the Peter Foundation, Peterson Foundation. They don't care. The elderly population is growing rapidly and living longer. I show this when I train realtors all around the country. Um, most of them want to work with people who are 55 to 65 um, because they think that that's what working with seniors for them is. And I always explain to them that, you know, there's this whole other segment of our population that is actually 75 to beyond 100. And so I show this slide. That is the fastest growing population of our senior segment is the 85 and older. Why is that? Because people are living longer. And the baby boomers are all, right? So people are living longer, but they're also living healthier, right? So they're living healthier. Now, here's another statistic, and this is about people who are over 100, over 100 worldwide. Um, we're, we're really, we're touching on now over half a million people um, over the age of 100. Uh, if they're over the age of 110, they call them super centenarians. So they have a category for that now. Well, they have to have a category because there's getting to be a, a fair number of them. People living over 115. So come back to these seminars five years from now. I'm going to just quit talking about people over 100. That'll be less relevant. We're going to start talking about people over 110. I see heads shaking. I see heads shaking. Okay, so let me just give you three facts about centenarians that are interesting to me. One, uh, more than 50% of them live in a private home or apartment on their own. Independent living, senior living could be, or their own home or in a home with someone else. Only a very small percentage actually live in a nursing community. I think the percentage is somewhere around 5 to 6%. And typically, if they're living there, uh, there are very few people who live there long term. They live there in the end of life stage. Okay, and so amazingly to me, and this is a paradigm, we're going to talk about what paradigms are here in a minute, is that being 100 is no longer people lying in a bed with a tube down their throat, not able to communicate. These are people that are 100 and older who are living life, and they're living large. Okay, they're, they're still actively engaged and doing things that matter uh, all the way up to 100 and beyond. This woman's 104 in that picture. The other uh, thing that I thought was interesting is that all the studies, uh, all the research, and there's plenty of them, I can tell you, most of them are on the health side of things, but some of them are social. This one said, you know, that the key thing that made these folks um, help them, I'm going to say made them, help them be healthier, help them be more active, help them be more engaged, is the social resources they had access to. Now, social resources is a big term. There's a lot of things that fall under that. One is access to health care. One is access to relationships, friendships, um, things like when you need support in your home, you have somebody that can come help you, things like transportation, right? All of the things that we know that we need on a day-to-day -day basis, they have 
the ability to access or have it available to them. So I thought it would be fun just really quick to show you some pictures of some folks that are 100 or older. There is a website, or not a website, but a Facebook page. There's a website too, but a Facebook page of uh, the Centenarians of Oklahoma. And if you're not familiar with that and you use Facebook, go like their page called the Centenarians of Oklahoma. And this is the local Oklahoma chapter of people um, who have been inducted, if you will, into the Centenarian uh, group there. And so they go all over the state and they find people who have turned 100 and they throw a big birthday party and they give them a certificate and um, they kind of track them to see how they're doing and, and just see how things are going. So this gentleman uh, continues to be uh, active and involved. He's from Ardmore, um, and he is uh, 100 years old. Uh, this woman, uh, let's see if I can tell you where she's from. She's from uh, Stillwater, yeah, but was born and raised in Cushing. She's 102. Here's another one. This is Fanny Jones in Oklahoma City, turned 109 in August. Right? Now, Fanny does live in a long-term care community and has for quite some time, but uh, in reading the comments, uh, she's still quite actively engaged with the people there, and so at 109, you guys, okay? Um, we've got um, this gentleman, Raven Perkins, uh, is in a parade, you know, going down along there with his 100-year-old uh, World War II veteran sign. Now these are all recent, by the way. These are like within the last several months. I pulled the most recent pictures down from their Facebook page. Uh, this is a group uh, in Tulsa, and the lady there in the middle um, turned 100, and uh, Barbara Scott with her family there. Uh, Mr. Lawrence of Okita turned 100. I, you know, I looked at him and I thought, I don't know if he's just not happy. Or if he's not happy, he's having to have his picture taken. <laughs> uh, but uh, definitely uh, perfectly capable and active. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, by the way. I kind of did a little head count. Historically, women have outlived men uh, pretty, pretty significant numbers, right? By, by significant. That, that gap is closing now. And we're seeing more and more men live longer and I don't know, ladies, what you're doing, uh, if you're just feeding them well or what you're doing, but uh, they seem to be living a little bit longer than the last decade. So congratulations, guys. You're well represented here in this. Uh, this group is actually from Concordia. They were on the Centenarians page. There were six people at Concordia over the age of 100 that they celebrated back in September. I asked Kelly and uh, Carla, and they said that um, that most of them, well, all of them started out in independent living. Um, some of them now live in assisted living. Uh, and one woman has since passed, uh, since September. But they had six people in September living there, uh, 100 or older. Uh, they had one lady there, which is Kelly, 105 and still calls bingo? Yes. yes. Right, 105, still calls bingo actively, lives in assisted living, but is still active in assisted living. And then uh, Dorothy Paget um, and her son there from Wagner. She's uh, she's she, at 98. She received a Lifetime Achievement Award for having 4,000 hours of volunteer service to RSVP. Where's Paul? Paul Sanders. I saw you back there. You're going to be up here one of these days when you turn 100. We're going to put you up here. Y'all have more than 4,000 service hours, right? Yep. And then uh, I think I'm coming up on the last one here. Mr. Metcalf of Bixby turned 100 on September 26th. 
Okay, so when you look at those people, at those faces, what do you see? Smiles, right? What else? Happiness. Who said old? Bird, did you say old? <laughs> you, you let your inside voice get out. I heard it. <laughs> Jesus! Jesus, Tom. I just wanted to share uh, my dad, well, my granddad, my grandparents raised me, lived to be three months short of 108. Wow, he three months short. living. They would get him dressed, they would go out in the front office and test to the nurses. Of course. So he lived to be almost 108. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, your grandfather. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So you got good genes. Yeah. Right? Okay. Very good. What else do you see when you see these pictures? Community. Community. Thank you. Yeah, good. Grumpy doesn't like to take pictures. I think he just doesn't like to take pictures. What else do you see? Oh, determination. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, they're smiling. Yeah. You know, there she's 109. She's smiling. She's like, yeah, I, I made it, right? 109. Yeah, I see smiling too. And you know, I think what I what I wonder is, do you see yourself at all in any of these pictures? Do you? Some people are saying, yeah. Some people are going, uh-uh. No. So here's the interesting paradox. Most of these people, when interviewed, will tell you that it never really even occurred to them they were coming up on a milestone birthday. They hadn't really thought about it. It wasn't like they were going, come on 100, right? It wasn't like they set a goal. It just happened. It just happened. One day they woke up and somebody showed up and said, we're having a birthday party, you're turning 100, and we're going to give you a certificate. And they went, really? That's a thing? <laughs> right? Because 100 is something that we're all just learning. I mean, it's like, it's interesting, right? It's interesting, but it's a number. It's just, they picked a number, and why isn't it 99? Why isn't it 102? It, 100 is 100 because it's an easy number to divide by 10. <laughs> That's all it is, right? Yeah, sir, that is right. I can divide it by 10 pretty easily, yeah? Okay, so what we found is that we've created this celebration for people who have turned 100 because most of us are amazed by it. Agreed? Because, Tom, not all of us had a family member that went beyond 100. I didn't have any that went beyond 100. And so it's a new phenomenon. How many of you have a family member in your lineage, parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, that was 100 or more upon their death? Raise your hand. Look around. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, six people out of the room. That's a pretty, pretty small number for this larger room, right? So we have, we, this is new. They have lots and lots of books written on how to raise children, don't they? Because that is not new. Now, they're writing new books now, and I'd like to just take them all, throw them in a pile, and burn them all because they're terrible. But we're going to talk about paradigms today. Because there's new ways to parent. Guess what? There's also new ways to what? Age. Yeah, to get older and to be in relationship with people who are getting older, if it's not you yourself, right? My, uh, 
recent experience kind of has informed my talk today. I'll share with you a little bit uh, along the way here. But you know my uh, Uncle Donnie, I mentioned him I think last month, uh, was in hospice. Uh, he passed uh, night before last of cancer and uh, prostate cancer. He'd been battling for quite a while and um, he told me, you know, a couple weeks ago before he really went downhill, he said, you know, I just never occurred to me. I'd live this long. Never occurred to me. Because his dad died when he was a teenager in an accident. He had a, a, a wheel or a tire come off of a wheel at work and hit him in the head and killed him. It's tragic. Um, my dad uh, is uh, will be 75 soon. And... Uh, you know, it just, he doesn't think about age. How many of you think about age on a regular basis? It, it's not something we think about, right? So this, I want you to hear this is not about age, okay? This, today's talk is about living well wherever you are, okay? The reason I bring up being 100 is because it is a new paradigm that we as a society have to look at and as family members have to look at, and as spouses have to look at, and as, in, uh, as people who provide services have to look at, and as politicians have to look at, right? Because it is a whole new world when people live, literally live 25 years or more longer than they did in the previous decade. Think about that. We gotta change some stuff, and so, we can either, and you, this is, I'm preaching to the choir here. People can point fingers and say they need to change all this stuff, but really, who needs to change? We do. We've got to be the leaders and the proponents of any change that takes place, and it starts with us, right? So Einstein said, um, you know, it's a famous quote that's been said in sales, uh, sales arenas since I can remember when I was back 20 years old. It's one of the first quotes I heard, and that is that we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Now that quote is on your handout. If you don't have your handout in front of you, there's a version of that quote in front of you. And it's a little bit, bless you, it's a little bit of a confusing quote because here's the thing. Most of us have the same thoughts every single day, day in and day out. Think about that. We're not thinking differently every day. We're thinking the same every day, right? I mean, we have the same exact cereal for breakfast every morning. Yep, some of you do, right? Same exact cereal. You do not have to think about that. You just get up, you walk to the kitchen, it's either on the table for you or you fix it, and you eat it. it yeah, or your coffee. Same thing. You have a ritual. You have a routine. We are, as human beings, unconscious in most of our actions. About 86% or more, they say. We are acting 80% of the time, 86 more percent of the time, unconsciously aware. We're acting on old patterns and old assumptions. So what is a paradigm? You guys are all educated people. You know these words, these big words, right? Uh, paradigm. It's not two dimes of paradigms. We had a company here in town, a real estate company, come in at one point in time and bought another company. It was called Paradigm Realty. You remember that company? Yeah. And we called it the two, the two dime company. Yeah. The 20 cent company, I think some people called it. It is a set of theories, assumptions, and ideas that contribute to our worldview, a paradigm. I'm going to read a story to you. 
Some of you may have heard this story before, but it, it's kind of fun. Uh, it kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. It's a very cold morning at the zoo. We're at a, a large outdoor enclosure for monkeys, shaped like a birdcage with straight sides and a half circle roof that made, made of iron bars. A social scientist has decided to conduct an experiment in behavior. So the night before the monkeys did not receive any food, and so they're very hungry the next morning. Four of the monkeys have been let out from their warm indoor enclosure into the cold and exposed outdoor enclosure. The monkeys are looking for food everywhere and anywhere they see, and in the center of the enclosure, a ladder. Hanging down from the top of the cage is a rope, and attached to the rope is a large bunch of ripe bananas that dangles temptingly just above the top of the ladder. The monkeys look around at each other, then one of them makes for the ladder and starts to climb. As the monkey gets about halfway up, the scientist unleashes the full power of a fire hose and the force of the icy water slams the monkey off the ladder and against the wall of the enclosure, where the primate then sits, stunned and shocked. Some of you are going, where was PETA, right? <laughs> the other monkeys observe this, but as they are hungry, another one soon decides to try for the bananas. Same again, thud. Have you ever tried using a fire hose? Right? The sheer pressure, it, it's immense, right? Now, imagine this hitting you square in the chest, knocking you off a ladder, clear across the cage where you then sit hurt and freezing cold. Despite this now being predictable, each of the monkeys tries this for themselves as hunger drives them beyond the fear of what they could, see, could have seen and know will happen. After the fourth monkey joins the others, wet, cold, and in pain, clustered against the wall, the experiment proper begins. The first monkey, here's the key, the first monkey is removed and replaced with another monkey who is dry, warm, and has not witnessed anything so far. As that new monkey gets up to try to go up the ladder, all the monkeys, knowing exactly what would happen and with personal experience of what it feels like, when would hold the new monkey back with gestures that seem to say, we don't do that here. The new entrant is confused, but stays in place. Soon after, the second monkey is replaced with a second new monkey, and again, the other three monkeys in the cage hold the new monkey back. A little later, the third old monkey is placed with a third new monkey, and again, the same thing. Finally, the last remaining cold, wet, and in pain monkey is replaced with a new one. And again, the three other monkeys stop the new one from climbing the ladder. What's different this final time, though? They all know that they don't climb the ladder, but none of them know why. So how many of us are operating every single day on a set of beliefs, ideas, behaviors, assumptions, theories that we assume we created or that we thought up, but we don't even know where they came from. We just believe that that's how things are. 
That's crowd mentality, right? It's very similar to crowd mentality. So on your handout, there's a little, uh, there's a little picture there in the middle. And it says, it has the two little people here. It says, I don't know another way. It's always been that way. I just thought, I just, that's just what I was taught. Or that's just how it is, right? Great example uh, of a paradigm. How many of you ladies have ever been to a baby shower or thrown one for somebody? Yeah, me too. So my uh, daughter-in-law-to-be and my son are expecting, and uh, she's, uh, they're contemplating, you know, the baby coming, and we're talking about baby showers and stuff, and they're there for Thanksgiving when we bring it up, and she says, well, I don't want to do a traditional baby shower. I want all the people to come. I want guys there too. Now, all the men in the room, how many of you want to go to a baby shower? You can't wait to go to a baby shower. I don't see any hands. I pulled our living room, and I said, Kristen, men don't like baby showers. And she said, well, no, they'll, they'll want to go. My dad will want to go. He's sitting on the couch. I said, how many of you guys in the room want to go to the baby shower? And they went, ugh. And she sat there, like, stunned. And I continued to try to convince her that we needed to have a traditional baby shower with just women because we're more fun and we like peak things and you know and that it would be terrible to invite them in because then we'd all hate being there because they wouldn't want to be in. And I, could, I tried all the things I could think of and then she went home and of course she's frustrated now, right? Because she wants something different than I want. Whose paradigm was I operating on? My own. Where did it come from? Experience. Every baby shower I've ever been to that was good and bad, I made an evaluation and said this is how they should be or shouldn't be. And my experience is mostly it's women sitting around open baby gifts and drinking punch and talking and, you know, whatever, right? That is not her paradigm, is it? She doesn't have a paradigm, does she? Because she's never been to a baby shower. And so she's created this idea of what she wants her baby shower to look like, and I hate it. I think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> she wants people to bring gifts, but she's not going to open them. She's going to take them home and open them. What? No. Ladies? No. That's, that's crazy. That's rude, Shannon said. That's rude. Right? All of us have a paradigm that we're living on, and we're trying to sometimes convince other people that our paradigm is right. Now, I can either continue with that argument and do it my way and have a daughter-in-law who hates my guts, or I can do what? Try it her way and see what happens. And lo and behold, it may be great, or it may be terrible. In either case, it's hers. It's hers. Okay. Yeah, Martha? Could you not compromise that? Both oh, of those ideas? I, I'm working on compromise. Okay. Yes, I'm taking a class on negotiation right now for that reason. <laughs> there is a compromise probably, I think, right? But how many people think that way? Most of us think, I'm doing it my way and by God, that's just how it's going to be. I'm the hostess, or I'm the mom, or I'm the whatever, right? I'm putting my foot down, this is how we're going to do it. And then they wonder why that relationship isn't healthy. 
So I'm not talking about baby showers here today. We're talking about getting older. And we're talking about what does that look like. And we're talking about as our society gets older, what paradigms are we currently perpetuating that no longer serve us? Either us personally or the person in our life. This is a fun little uh, cartoon. I've shown it before. My teacher says little girls can grow up to be anything they choose. Why did you choose to be an old lady? <laughs> How do you answer that? How do you answer that? Right? I have a friend, uh, matter of fact, Chris's friend from high school recently. We had lunch, uh, some girls and, uh, that he graduated with and I. And uh, we sat down, and one of the friends is my age, just turned 50 not too long ago. I'll be 52 soon. And we sat down, and the very first thing she said is something about people our age. And then it went on to old people like us. And then it went on to start telling us about she got laid off at Sonic when they changed, you know, ownership, and she was looking for a job. And nobody wants to hire an old lady like me, she said. And I'm sitting there thinking, who are you talking about? But her brain was old. She was living in her version of what old was. And she has gray hair now. Uh, she let it grow out uh, during the pandemic and didn't color it. A lot of women did that, which is fine. That's, you know, grow old gracefully. A lot of you guys have gone a la natural, which I think is great. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Part of the reason is I'm not gray. I have like three gray hairs. So yes, you can be a little bit jealous. But here's the deal. Even if I were gray, I would not go all gray because for me, it's a mindset, right? For her, it was a mindset. And my thought was, if they are discriminating against you for your age, color your hair. It's a very cheap thing you can do to solve the problem. But whose paradigm was that? Mine. Hers is different. Does that make sense? And so I didn't say that to her, thankfully. We don't have that kind of relationship because I probably would have been disinvited to lunch in the future. But I, I told Chris later, I was thinking about her paradigm of aging and mine are very, very, very different. Because I know plenty of women in their 70s, 80s, and beyond with gray hair who are not old. Right? Old is, by definition, something different for her than for me. Okay, this is where audience participation comes in. What we're gonna do right now is we're going to name some of the paradigms that we already know about, whether we have them or not, or we see them out there, or we experience them, that are related to these particular bullet points, okay? We're going to just take a look and we're going to name a few of each and then we're going to deconstruct them a little bit, okay? So what current paradigms that are maybe not positive or positive, either one, relate to longevity? I'm just going to repeat back what you tell me, okay? So longevity. What paradigms related to longevity can you think of? Depends on your genes. That longevity depends on your genes. Now, is that a paradigm or is that something that science is telling us? Or could it be both? Yeah, so what, how do paradigms begin? A lot of times with scientific studies. It's kind of like the brain. They used to say the brain doesn't change, right? You're gonna age however you age, and now we know about plasticity, 
And guess what? Our paradigm is that if that all of us are going to get dementia, and now we know that's not true, we're having to change our paradigm, right? So if we believe that aging is all about genetics, that's a paradigm, yeah? But it's backed up by science until science does what? Figures out they were wrong, if they do. Does that make sense? So it's a paradigm until it's not. Good. Keep going. What else? I wrote down a couple. I'll get us started. Uh, well, you got us started. I'll keep us going. My parents live to be X age, whatever that age is. So I will probably live to be about the same age. Is that a paradigm? Yep, we've all thought that at least if we haven't said it. Yeah. The other one is my parents both died of X and so I will probably die of X. Yeah. Okay, that's a paradigm. And, and here's what I want you to hear about that longevity paradigm. What we believe is often the reality we create. Right? We will create the conditions that match our belief system. So if our paradigm is my parents died at 80, I will die at 79 to 81, then guess what? You will not exercise when you turn 78 years old. Why? What's the point? You might as well take up smoking while you're at it. Because I'm going to die in two years anyway. Who was it? Carla told me her mother won't go to the dentist. She says she's going to die soon anyway. What's the point? See my point? Okay, the other one I wrote down was people, um, well, I guess this is the next one. Is there any other longevity ones that you have? Those are good ones. Okay, here's a retirement one. I'll get us started and you keep us going. People retire at age 65, or now 67. But people retire at 65. That's a paradigm, isn't it? Created when what? When Social Security became a thing. So now we've created this social paradigm that people should or do retire at a kind of an age range. Okay, what else? What other paradigms do we have about retirement? It usually starts with you. You have to this or you should that. You lose all your holidays. You lose all your holidays when you retire? You lose your paycheck, you lose your holidays. How I'm confused. How do you lose your holidays? Well, they were always paid holidays when you work. So now you don't get paid for the holidays. Right. You still have the holidays. Well, but it's the same every day of the week. Every day is a holiday. <laughs> That's a new paradigm for me. I'm going to have to work on that one. I like it. All right, good. What else? Yes. The holiday means you've gone back to work. A holiday is different than what you've been doing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So for some people, a holiday is going back to work. Yep. There you go. See, paradigm shift. A different way of thinking about something. Good. Okay, so paradigm is you lose, if you retire, you lose connection with some of the people you work with. Now, does that have to be true 100% of the time? No. 
But if that's our mentality, then what happens? We don't try. We just stay at home. We don't really make an effort, right? If the reality is when I retire, I really won't have any friends from work anymore, and they're not going to want to hang out with me because, well, we don't have anything in common, then I won't make an effort then because that's just how it is. Right. Yeah, Betty? Okay, so retirement specifically, you can do what you want, when you want, because it makes you happy. Because I can, and it makes me happy. Okay, so paradigm. If that's the paradigm, and the paradigm is I can do what I want, when I want, when I, when I want, because I can, because it makes me happy, I don't have to exercise. I don't care what doctor says. I'm retired. <laughs> You can do, you can choose the things you want to do and enjoy doing, right? Well, but what if I don't enjoy exercising? Does that mean I don't have to do it? No, I don't enjoy exercising. So you don't like to exercise either, but you find other things to add activity to your life. Okay, so again, her, is her paradigm and mine maybe similar but different? Yeah, because what she said to me was, I can do what I want, when I want, if I enjoy it, I'll do it. And I'm thinking, well, I don't like to exercise, so if I retire, I would probably never exercise. If that were my paradigm, it's not yours. Yours is very different, okay? Good. What else? One more about retirement, or are we good? Yeah, Barbara? So she was in the symphony. What did you play, Barbara? Violin. Violin. Okay, do you still play? Some? No, we're gonna get we're gonna talk about that. Alright. Because she had a friend who kept telling her at 65 she needed to retire so someone younger could take her place. Her friend's paradigm, she was pushing it on you, wasn't she? Okay, how do you feel about that? Played till you were 74. Congratulations. Okay. So, so uh, that person's paradigm was when you reach a certain age, you should move aside and make way for a younger, uh, a younger group of people. Yeah. I didn't understand. By the way, is that kind of how society is right now? We're seeing that in jobs. We're seeing it in volunteer organizations. Now, there's something to be said for bringing in new people so that they can be mentored and trained and brought up so that they, these organizations continue to thrive, right? But if you get rid of everybody with experience and you try to bring in a group of new people without people with experience, what do you get? You get what we have now, working at every fast food restaurant in the country. What did you say? A mess. A mess. Chaos, right? And you get a bunch of people who are trying, maybe, but they're trying without any guidance from people who have the wisdom and experience of having been there and done that. So that paradigm 
of you know the whole thing about retirement. I think it's ter it's a terrible idea to downsize a bunch of people at higher or mid level at the same time and bring in a bunch of new people because it, it's a mess, right? But they're doing it every single day. When a person walks out the door at the age of 65, they take 15 to 30 years of experience out the door. Yeah. And the new person who comes in to replace them has got to spend four to five years to even begin to catch up with oh, the for sure. they have. My solution to that is that the government should allow the person to work on his own three days a week, five days a week, two days a week, one day a week, sure. to share that knowledge and not pay a dime of taxes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, basically let them work beyond that retirement age for two, three days a week without ta paying taxes. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, maybe we should all write our, our congressman Amen. about that. Right. Yeah, well done. Okay, um, let's go on to estate planning. What are your estate planning uh, paradigms? Frustration. Frustration. <laughs> estate planning is? It's very difficult to, to equalize things. Oh, to equalize things within the family. Okay, is that a paradigm or is that just truth? <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, and so if we believe that, because that has been our experience or someone else's experience, then what will we do or not do? We just won't do it. We'll put it off. But you don't have to do it. I met plenty of people who have not done it. I have too. Okay, and it's a problem. And I've suffered. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I most of the time, though, they have a paradigm that they're working off of that is their excuse for not doing it. What are those paradigms? It means I'm as ready to die. Oh, doing a state. As soon as I start estate planning, I'm going to die. It means I'm old and I'm going to die. Wow, right? So we'll just continue to kick, kick the can down the road, and then I won't die. But when I do, I won't have an estate plan. Right. Not my problem. That's another paradigm. I, I wrote that one down. Whose problem is it? Our kids. Our kids. My kids will figure it out because, well, we figured it out. Me and my siblings figured it out, so my kids will figure it out. That's their paradigm. Did they figure it out in today's world? No. They figured it out 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when the world was a little bit different, and you could go into a doctor's office and talk to your doctor about your loved one's health, and they would actually have a conversation with you, and you do that now, and they do what? Oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't talk to you. I'm going to need that form. What form? Well, I'll, I'll get you the form. Yeah. Right? Because they're not talking to you. So estate planning now involves those kinds of things that they never had to deal with. And so they assume their kids will figure it out. when they can't. It's not about figuring it out. You can't figure that out. You either have the form or you don't. Right? Yeah, I saw a hand up back here. Yes, ma'am. Based up to it, get a trust, get a 
space out to do it. Okay, so her, her paradigm is it causes a lot of friction within the family, the kids especially, so everyone needs a trust, so just do it. That's your paradigm, right? Now, some people's paradigm is I don't like attorneys. Attorneys are not honest, they charge me too much money, and so I'm not going to do it because I'm told I have to hire an attorney to do it. That's a paradigm, right? I know Jennifer and she's great, she doesn't overcharge people and she's easy to work with, but that's my paradigm. Try to convince somebody who's had a bad experience with an attorney that that's what they should do, right? It makes sense, but I agree there's, there's some estate planning strategies that work to keep that friction from happening. I wrote down a couple here. Um, if you can't do it with a handshake, you just shouldn't do it. That's my uncle, right? That's a paradigm. Uh, we take care of our own. We take care of our own. We don't need somebody else to help us with this. It's private. Okay, that's a paradigm. Because why? It's not wrong, by the way. It worked for them for a long time, right? But what happened? The world changed. And when the world changes and we don't change with it, it creates problems and stress and tension and all those things. All right, where we live, where we live, paradigms about where we live as we grow older. What are some of the paradigms? <coughs> You have to live near your kids. Okay, good. Why is that a paradigm? Is it also the truth? Uh -huh. Yeah, most of the time the kids are more stressed than you would want. Um, okay, so he, I'm going to just use your example. He said, you need to live near, live near your kids. And then he said, but it's also the truth. Is it the truth for everyone? No. Right, no. But it's, if it, and I'm not saying it's your paradigm, but it's some people's paradigm, right? So if that's their paradigm, but their kids are mobile, they're still working and they're traveling and they're working, you know, corporate jobs where they transfer all around the country, does that paradigm work? It doesn't. So what do we have to do? We have to think differently. Because we're going to have to solve our issue of getting older and needing to be near our kids differently because that may not be the best solution in this circumstance. What else about where we live? What are some other paradigms? We don't want to live in an old folks home. So what's the paradigm that we have? What qualifies someplace as an old folks home? Where your great grandmother was. A nursing home. Yeah. And so in your mind, the paradigm is that's where old folks go. And how old was she then? 96. When did she move there? At 92. Okay. So that paradigm for you is the old folks home looks like, feels like, smells like this. And is a place people go when they're old which in your case was in the 90s, in her 90s, right? So, right. 
Okay, so she says, now I've been out looking and I've been to some places that are old folks homes and some places are more people's homes, right? And here's the difference, you've been out looking. If you never went out and looked and you just sat in your living room or you even came here and you listened to us talk about it but never went out and actually experienced it for yourself, your unconscious is going to believe what it believes and you are going to assume, and that's why we hear a lot of people say, I'm going to move, but I'm not ready yet. It's the paradigm that you move when you are disabled, or you move when you have dementia, or you move when you're 90 or some arbitrary number based on their experience, right? But we know that old folks' homes have come a long way, right? We don't call them that anymore. We call them communities. We don't call them facilities, right? There's just changes. Some of that semantics, but we've had to change our language because what that is is different than it was when your great grandmother was 92 years old, right? Yeah, I saw a hand back here. Yes, Martha. Along that line, you will have family and friends say, You're too young to move to the old folks' home. Okay, good. So, paradigm of the family and friends that you had, yep. Their paradigm is you guys were too young in your 70s, right? Is it okay for me to say that? Yeah. Um, sorry, I just threw you under the bus there. You guys are too young to have moved to a old folks home, aka Spanish Cove, beautiful apartment, fully decorated just like your home, and you guys go out and dragon boat race for fun, right? That's But in their mind, y'all are sitting around in your wheelchair reading the newspaper or somebody's reading it to you, right? Yeah, and somebody is going to come along in a couple hours and change your diaper, right? That's the paradigm that people have that they have not experienced what you've experienced. Good. Okay, let's keep going. Money. What's the paradigm around money? What do we know that people think about money that may not serve us well anymore? Yeah. It's nobody's business but my own. It's nobody's business but my own. And what kind of problem could that paradigm cause for someone? Yeah, their family doesn't know what they have or don't have, and therefore they can't help them plan or act on their behalf, potentially, if they were to need to, right? Yeah, what else? Good. That's a good one. What else? Yep. Will I have enough? Yeah. Yep. Right. Will I have enough? Okay, so that's a question. Let's turn it into a belief or a statement or an assumption. Um, so could it be that the paradigm is I need X amount of dollars in my bank account to be successful after I retire? Right, to do what I need to do after I retire. And that number is the paradigm, isn't it? Because some people think they need 100,000, some people think they need a million, some people think they need some lots of commas and zeros, right? Because they are basing that belief off of their paradigm and their experience, right? It's like I told my dad when I was young and I was watching him do his bills one day at the kitchen table. And he had a spreadsheet out, and he was very meticulous, and he had a pencil, and he was writing his bills in and his checks and all that before anything was online. And I remember asking him that day, Dad, how much money do you make? And I remember the answer vividly. He said $40,000 a year. And I went, wow. 
I can't wait till I make $40,000 a year. That would be amazing, right? And so guess what my paradigm became? $40,000 a year was big money. Is it big money now? Not necessarily, right? So I got into real estate, and what I learned was that if you could make $100,000, you were making a lot of money. And I was in my 20s. And so what was my goal? $100,000. And guess what? That was my paradigm. If you're you made $100,000, you were big, big time. Until I met somebody who made a million dollars. And I went, I have the wrong paradigm. <laughs> right? So our paradigm changes as we experience different things. So what have we experienced about money that has made our paradigm what it is? I'm going to give you one. Money is made to be left as inheritance to our kids. That's what money's for. Now some of you are sitting there going, yep, what's wrong with that? And some of you are shaking your head, nope, 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 nope. Okay, different paradigms. But there was a time when, in, in my grandfather's case, I'll just say his father and so on, they had farms. They were farmers. And it was their sole purpose was to create a farm that was viable that could be passed down to the next generation so that that generation could have an income stream and run the business of the farm and have a house. And it, was, it made perfect sense then. But it does not always make perfect sense now because that child may not want to farm. And so if that person says, well, I'm going to hang on to this farm at all costs. I'm going to live here, and I'm going to live here until I die, and then I'm going to pass this farm to my son, daughter, niece, nephew, whatever it is. And guess what happens? The son, daughter, niece, nephew sells it because their paradigm is, I went to college and got a you know, degree, and I'm going to go work and do that. I'm not going to stay here and farm. Two different paradigms. But here's what's happened, and I've seen this myself. People, and I work in Oklahoma City in the metro area in Edmond, and we see people mostly that live here in the metro now. They're not farmers. But they are holding on to this pool of cash to give to their kids who make 25,000 times more than they make down in Houston in a corporate job working in oil and gas or whatever, but their paradigm is, I need to pass this on to my children because that's my paradigm and they will not use it for their own care. They won't use the $250,000 in their bank account to hire someone to help them or to drive them because their paradigm is, I am not doing right by my kids if I don't leave that to them. See the difference? Okay, good. What other paradigms do we have about money? Here's my last one on that topic. I should help my kids with money because they're my kids. And you could put grandkids in there too. I should help my kids with money because they are my kids. Now, back to my grandpa's generation. He did help his kids. 
he kind of gave them seed money to get married or buy a house or, or start a farm of their own or buy a tractor. And then guess what? They either paid him back or they didn't pay him back, but his deal with them was that you use that money for something good to forward your family in life, right? There was kind of an expectation on how that money was used. Well, so now, fast forward two or three generations down the, down the hill, here's what happens. The paradigm is parents help their children when they need help. And now you've got children who don't want to work because, well, they can't wear pajamas to their place of business. And so they just choose to stay at home and play video games. But parents are giving them money because that's what parents do. Because they can't pay the rent or buy their pot. And parents help their kids. So I'm going to give my kids money because they need it or want it. Either one. But here's what I find when I start to ask people. You guys have to remember I have a little bit of a counseling background. So I get real curious when people are doing that. And I'll ask questions that real estate agents don't ask. It's really none of my business, but I can't help it. I'm curious. They don't have to answer. But I'll say, tell me more about that. You're giving your grandson a free rent, and you're paying for his car and his cell phone, and you're telling me you can't afford to hire someone to come in and help you with housekeeping? And they'll say, yeah. And I'm like, why? And they'll say, well, he's my grandson. And what I want to say is, he's a pothead. Kick him out. Do you understand? But her paradigm is so ingrained that she cannot, physically cannot do that, right? Because we help our kids. And so we've created a problem. Talk about a societal problem. And by the way, I'm not judging anybody in this room because I have those in my own family too. And I see it every single day and it's very hard to break an old paradigm. Because what do people, when they, when they, if they were to break that paradigm, what do they feel? guilt and we would rather do what we're doing than feel guilt most of us right okay let's get to the last couple and then I'm gonna uh, wrap it up here all right we got a couple more what are our paradigms about caregiving caregiving for others that it's expensive that it's expensive okay and so expensive is a very relative term isn't it it's very ambiguous. So what's expensive to one person is not expensive to another person. And so anytime you use a word like expensive, it's a paradigm. And so you have to ask the question, well, what is expensive to you, right? And so if someone says, well, $25 an hour for somebody to come in and help me with stuff is really expensive. And my comment is, yes, it is, if you are living in 1952. But we are in 2022, and that is a pretty typical fee. 20 to 25 dollars an hour for someone to help okay what else what other paradigms do we have what about caregiving yeah jake um that the husband or wife should care give for the other person. oh yeah the husband or wife they both have this paradigm that it's the wife's responsibility to care for the husband at all costs or vice versa um it's their responsibility until death do us part means x and everybody's paradigm is different Right? But that, that's one of them. Great. What else? The yeah. caregiving is, is health care or um, 
complaining constantly that it can't be just spending time with them visiting. Okay, yeah. So there's a paradigm about what healthcare is or what caregiving is, right? So caregiving means home health. Whereas caregiving to somebody else might mean somebody sitting and visiting with you or playing cards with you or driving you somewhere for groceries, right? Good. Yeah, so what we believe about caregiving. Another one I wrote down was um, that I will need to parent my parents someday. Now this is going to hit home for some of you in the room who have uh, adult children or grandchildren or family members uh, in my age group, anywhere from say 40 to say 60 right now, if they have parents who are up into their 70s or beyond, they are having conversations at dinner with friends about when the time is going to come they're going to have to start parenting their parents. You know why? Because that is a paradigm that has been perpetuated by all these stupid books called How to Parent Your Parent. And the sandwich generation thing, right? Uh, the book that David Soley wrote, How to Say It to Seniors, it sounds like a book like that, but it's not. Really, he should have named it How to Not Parent Your Parents. Because he says your parents don't need you to parent them. They need you to support them to do their life in their way, right? But parenting your parents is a paradigm. So I'll have these friends that will say, oh, I dread the day where I'm going to have to parent my parents. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And they're like, well, I'll have to do their bills, and I'll probably have to handle their affairs, and I'll probably have to take care of their health care stuff. How many of you would like for that to happen in your life right now? You want your kids to parent you? Nobody wants that. But in order to change that paradigm, we've got to demonstrate that you don't need or want them to do that and we have to do that in a way that works with their paradigm because if their paradigm is that they're going to have to parent you you're not going to like them very much i literally guys i was up till 2 a.m this morning at the er in integris in yukon with my dad he has copd pretty bad had an episode, uh, couldn't handle it himself at home, so he decided to go to the ER. My brother brought him over. I met him over there and sat with him for several hours while they did tests. He's fine. He went home. Uh, he wasn't happy to go home. He wanted to stay there, but they wouldn't let him. So he went home, and while we were there, I literally probably had to say to myself no less than a couple hundred times, Nikki, he's your dad. These are his decisions. Just do what he wants you to do. Nikki, he's your dad. Don't parent him. Nikki, don't try to be in charge. He's not your client. He didn't hire you to do this. Nikki, just sit here and be nice. Because what I wanted to say is, well, if you'd stop smoking, and if you wear your damn oxygen, and if you do your breathing treatments when you're supposed to, and, 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 and. What does that sound like? Parenting. Right? And so I literally had to, and I knew I was coming in here today to do this talk, which was helpful, by the way, because it reminds me of who I don't want to be as much as who I do want to be. But my old paradigm is my dad is going to become sick one of these days, and I'm going to have to take care of him. Well, guess what? My dad still works. He has a business. He runs it. He does quite fine on his own. He does not live the lifestyle I choose, but it's his, right? Not mine. It's his. And so 
there's a lot of my friends right now who are not speaking to their parents. They don't have relationships with their parents because they're trying to parent them. And they walk in the door and they tell their parents all the things they're doing wrong. Or the other way around, their parents are still trying to parent them and they're 52 years old. Same problem, right? So caregiving has its own paradigms that we have to rethink. Dementia, let's talk about that one. What are the paradigms we have about dementia? Yep. If you live long enough, everybody will get it. Is that true? No. No. But there is a paradigm out there that people believe, and so what will happen is they will see all of the reasons why, in their mind, that is true, because that's what they'll look for, right? And that's what they'll consciously create in their own life 99% of the time. What else? What else? Paradigms about dementia. When someone gets dementia, they have to go to a nursing home. That's a paradigm. Do they have to? No. Can you make that arrangement? Is it necessary sometimes? Sure. Is it required? No. Is there care for that now? Yes. Right? So there's a lot of things that can be done with that paradigm. I wrote down, um, oh, never mind. I didn't write one down. I wrote one down for exercise. You ready? We're moving next. Oh, Shannon, you got one? When I forget where I put my keys, dementia is setting in. Ah, there you go. Good one. Yeah. So when I forget where I put my keys, that means I'm coming down with dementia. It's setting in, right? We know that's not true, but if we believe that that is leading up to dementia, then that's what we will buy into, and then that's the world we'll create. Okay, last one on uh, exercise. This one's really easy. What is our paradigm about exercise? What are some of them out there? It's work. (laughs) No pain, no gain. That's a paradigm. If it's not painful, then it's not working which isn't true, we know that, right? What other paradigms do we have? Exercise is for young people or athletes, right? And not for people my age. Most of the time, the reason that women in my age group get overweight um, is because they think that women our age aren't supposed to do certain things. They aren't supposed to play sports. Um, they aren't supposed to do weight training. Um, they're, you know, they're just not supposed to for whatever reason. My mom didn't, my grandma didn't, my great-grandma didn't, my great-aunts didn't. I'm like, yep, have you looked at the pictures of them lately? Right? Karen's been doing CrossFit, right? You broke that paradigm right out of the ballpark, right? Gone. But you had some help, okay? So here's the deal. I looked at pictures of my parents and my family and my grandma and my mom, who are beautiful women, by the way, but they had gotten a little wide in their later years. And you know what the doctors say? That's just age and genetics. And I'm like, the hell it is. That ain't gonna happen to me. And so I went and saw a trainer, and guess what she said? We can fix that. And you can, right? So I'm probably 30, 40 pounds, if not more, less than my mom and grandma were at my age. My mom didn't live to my age, but my grandma's in my hands, right? Now, all right, so there's others. So I'm gonna close this up with this thought. We have to adopt new ways of thinking. Not just so we live longer, because many of you in this room are gonna live to be 100. At least one in five of you in this room will live to be 100. Look around the room, ask yourself who it's gonna be. 
one in five of you will live to be 100 or more. And the goal isn't to live longer necessarily. It's That's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying set a goal to live to 100. What I'm saying is whatever age you are, let's live better, right? And part of the reason we're not living better is because we're living in 1952 paradigms or 1920 paradigms or whatever adopted paradigm you have the era has gone by where we can live better now. And by the way, I want to share really quick a statistic. I don't have a slide for it, but I want to tell you that when when they throw numbers out there, and what is the average uh, longevity age now for men and women? Anybody know right off the top of their head? 79? 86, 83. I think it's up to 83 and 86 or something like that. It's, it's gone up. Yeah. 84? Think 84. 84. Okay. So here's the deal. It's early 80s. That is an average. And do you know what brings the average down? People who are, live in an uh, economically deprived situation, they don't have access to health care. People who are obese, people who smoke, people who don't have health care, and people who don't exercise. So here's the deal. If you're doing all those things, taking good care of yourself, eating right, exercising, you have access to health care and you use it, you're taking your medications for high blood pressure, and all those things, guess what? You bring the average up. So here's what happens. There's an average, there's a low, a high, and an average. And you don't know if you're going to be average or if you're going to be high. I can guarantee if you're sitting in this room today, you are not on the low end of that spectrum. Chances are you're more educated, you have a better financial situation. You go, how many of you go to the doctor? Raise your hand. Ever go to the doctor? Yeah. So the fact that you live about a half a mile in any direction from a major hospital means you will live longer than average. My dad, on the other hand, rural America, has to drive 50 miles to the nearest hospital, big hospital, doesn't have access to home health, physical therapy, any of those things without a lot, a lot, a lot of effort, which is why, by the way, he doesn't go. And he smokes, and he eats fried food and fast food, and he doesn't exercise. He is going to be on the lower end of that age group, right? And genetically, he's, that's him. They will tell you that genetics play 70% part after your age 100. But up to age 100, it is mostly lifestyle, okay? Mostly lifestyle. So think about that for a second. How do we live better? Um, some people in this room right now are do not like theoretical talks. Like when I give a talk like this that's very big thought and it doesn't have like how-to steps, some of you are sitting there going, okay, Nikki, give me the five how-tos to take home with me. I do not have five how-tos for you today because every single one of you would get a different set of how-tos, right? So my how-to recommendation for you starts with the gift. The gift is done through the Villages, which is one of our education partners. Um, they do it regularly, both online and in person. There is a charge for it. I forget. What is it, Gayleen? $199. $199 to do it. 
it is worth thousands of dollars if you're going to equate it with money. It doesn't have an equatable value if you value just the actual doing it and what it does for you. But they will take you through a series of step-by-step -step actions designed, and here's the thing, I've talked about this before, but here's what I'm going to tell you about it today. It is designed to make you think through all of these paradigms that we have. And you think them through with the people together in a room. So six, seven people, maybe, you know, they're not huge groups. And these people are also in the same boat, so they get it. And what they do is they talk about it, and then in between the workshops, you go and you do your homework. And if I could encourage anyone to give themselves a gift this year for a holiday gift, it would be the gift of the gift. Because that, to me, is the take-home from this. It's not, okay, Nikki, you gave me a lot to think about, and I'm going to go, and when I think of something, I'm going to ask myself, is that an old paradigm? Should I change it? And I'm, I think that's a great idea. But then you've got to actually do something about that. Does it make sense? Okay. So if you have more questions about this program, I have no investment in this. I make no money on it. I'm not trying to sell it. It's completely uh, not-for-profit driven through the villages. Gaylene's back there. She can answer your questions about it. But I just think that sometimes there are things out there that I go, you know what? Every single person on the face of the earth should do this. Shannon, with our team, teaches one of the courses. Uh, all of our education partners, I think, have either hosted them or been involved in them in some way, shape, or form. All right, did y'all learn something today, yes or no? Yes. All right, here is uh, next month's topic. I'm going to give you a little commercial so you know what it's about. Next month, first, first session next month is at the crossings, at the atrium. You're going to follow the signs. It's called Staying Put, The Truth About Choosing Your Forever Home. This is what a lot of people call it. I actually have a really fun term I'm going to use when we're there. Tom coined this uh, a while back. He said, you know, I downsized a while back. He said, now Nikki wants me to miniaturize. <laughs> and, uh, and the fact is, you know, it makes no difference to me uh, one way or the other. If you choose to downsize or don't choose to downsize, Everybody's going to make a choice, right? You're either going to choose to live where you are, or you're going to choose to move somewhere else. And that somewhere else might be another house or something like that, or it could be a community. Uh, it just depends. But regardless of what you choose, the goal here in this talk is to talk about what that house, that residential environment, the home itself, the community, needs to have and be equipped with for you to successfully stay there if that's your plan, okay? Whether it's a senior community or whether it's a house or an apartment or your kid's basement, we wanna make sure that you kinda of got a plan for that. And so that's what that talk will be about. And then the second one, we will now have two a month going forward in January. We've been doing it the last couple of months. The second one is at the Northwest Library. There's limited seating at that one, just so you know, because the space is smaller. Um, and the talk on that will be a panel, and we'll be talking about smart and not-so-smart accessibility ideas for your home. We'll probably have uh, Able Tech back and New View back and some of the places that provide some accessibility uh, items. But mainly we're going to be talking about how to equip your home and, by the way, the things that they're marketing to you that you should not probably buy because they're a bad idea or because 
they're telling you that they're worth more than they are, whatever the case may be. So we'll kind of give you the pros and cons of some of those other ones, okay? And that's at the Northwest Library, and that's, uh, you guys know, it's at MacArthur and 122nd. All right, one more round of applause for our education partners. that if you have time before you leave that you give Jim your eval, uh, he's standing back here with the purple shirt on, but that you also go by, I noticed Melissa had a flyer there on how to not be stressed, right, how to de-stress, and I noticed Yasser had some materials as I walked around, there was some new stuff on those tables that I haven't seen, and I thought what better time to pick up something on not being stressed than right here before Christmas, right? <laughs> Um, and every one of the tables has a little something for you guys. So just walk by and grab those, pick them up before you leave. And I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays to those of you who don't celebrate Christmas. And we are still here in town. Our teams are working. So if you have questions or need anything, call us. Thank you, guys. Thanks.